what are we talking about this week? Hold on. Better said, this is what you need to know if you love horse racing and are following it on a weekly or daily basis. Grab a cuppa or enjoy while striving, walking, running, you name it. Talk racing to me with Naomi to run you through the talking points in horse racing this week. On this show, we'll kick things off with the latest American news. There's some stakes action at Laurel Park last weekend. Of course, Fridays are for Stronic 5. And this Friday, we have a huge, nearly 155 grand carryover. How the Triple Crown Trail vibe hits a little differently this year. Of course, this week, all eyes are on the OBS sale for the two-year-olds. And also, to finish things off domestically, I've got some food recommendations for anyone visiting Baltimore for the Preakness Steaks. I've got some experience now from last year that I'm more than happy to share. Followed by some international action, the Cheltenham Festival this week, and the upcoming renewal of the Dubai World Cup, the prize money that's on offer, the different fields, everything. I got you covered. Let's get into some USA-based action and news points. Last Saturday was Good Samaritan Stakes Day at Laurel Park. It was a wonderful, beautiful, sunny day. And fortunately, we were able to have about 400 fans in attendance once again, which certainly added to the atmosphere and the excitement. And I'll quickly uh, give you a recap of what went down on the day. We had the three-year-old fillies going to one-turn mile, kick off the stakes, actually at five stakes races. It was the Beyond the Wire stakes. And Street Loop was trying to uh, make it a six stakes win in a row, but she was going the mile for the first time. And unfortunately, she doesn't say the mile. She's not a mile type. She is an out-and-out sprinter. She's bulky. She was buzzy in the paddock. And she is fast. And she couldn't sustain, unfortunately. We had a fraudulent charge that was stretching out for the first time as well. But much more of that stayer type really beautifully filled out Philly for trainer Lacey Gaudet. She ran second because Tom Amos, with his second ever starter at Laurel Park, got little stitches into the winner's circle. And she had ran a very strong second in a grade two Rachel Alexandra at Fairgrounds prior to this. And the owner, Joe Politi, and his family came up from Ohio to watch it. So it was quite the day. And she's a tiny filly. She really isn't big at all, but she's gritty and feisty. And she ran down a fraudulent charge in that long one-turn mile second finish uh, line stretch of Laurel Park. Next stakes was the Not For Love, six furlong for the sprinters. Which was just the where she told me to go story. Four trainer Brittany Russell, Sheldon Russell. He was perfectly poised, but his speed horse on his inside, speed towards his outside. Didn't actually develop that way. Plenty of speed, but not by the horses I thought it was going to be. Karen's notion, the Maryland Million Sprint winner, I thought he was going to go 40. Actually got the door shut in his face, really significantly checked, ended up saving ground on the rail and ran a really game second. So Karen's notion for next time. He's uh, showed that he's not just a one-trick pony wanting to go to the lead and go hard. But where she told me to go, just a veteran sprinter that came off the back of a two-and-a-half-month layoff. And he was so fresh. He was in the paddock bouncing about. It nearly looked like he grew a hand 
when they put the saddle back on him. Came in here, it's perfect setup for him. He loves to sort of sit mid-pack and then come with one run. And that's what happened. He was uh, my single in the pick six and thankfully he came in. And then the Harrison E. Johnson Memorial, mile and an eighth the distance. That was a loaded field. That was a fun race, a spread race. I tried to come up with my with a price play in Dixie Draw, but he ran third, still a very gallant effort. It was Cordmaker who finally got the win after having run second so, so frequently. And most of the time it was because he got into traffic trouble. So today, trainer Rodney Jenkins told me afterwards that the plan was all for nothing, go to the front. And if the horse gets beat, it's because he didn't have him ready and not because of a jockey error. So Victor Carrasco popped him straight to lead and never looked back. So just a wonderful victory for the veteran six-year-old who actually won this race for the same trainer and jock and connections in 2019. Then the four-year-olds and upwards, the Caniva stakes seven furlongs for Philly and Mez. We saw a Michael Trombetta exactor who won it with Kiss the Girl and then looking dynamic finished second. And Kiss the Girl just took that next step after running second behind Gail in the Geisha stakes last time out. Just really got it going. He got her from Steve Asmussen. She had a bit of a long layoff, took a race, and then she hit her stride and, and never looked back since. The final stakes race of the day was the private terms, the mile and 16, where shackled love, Gary Capuano. So Gary Capuano had two horses in that race, shackled love and Shaqueen King. And Shaqueen King had taken his chance in the grade three withers up at Aqueduct. Didn't enjoy it, didn't run well. Before that, I'd run third in a spectacular bit behind Kenny Had a Notion and made the horse be with you, who was reopposing, had won the Howard County. So I preferred his runner, as Shackled Love was actually supposed to run on the Friday, but the Friday got cancelled. So we're supposed to run in an uh, optional claimer race there. So they decided to take a chance with him. And as from a type physical point of view, this was the kind of horse that was going to absolutely relish uh, the mile and 16 to two turns, just a very leggy, long sort. But he certainly proved his talent here today by putting away strong field, made the horse be rigid, ran up to form in second. And Shackled Love also provided apprentice jockey Charlie Marquez with his first ever stakes victory, which was quite the story of the day. As you all know, Fridays are for the Stronach Five. And hopefully this time we'll get to uh, dive into that juicy nearly $155,000 carryover. No last minute postponements due to a very unfortunate EHV1 outbreak on the Laurel Park backside. But those barns have been quarantined and they should be out of it soon now. So as it stands right now, the Shonic 5 Pick 5 will be comprised of the following races for this week. Leg A, Laurel Park Race 8. Leg B, Golf Shin Park Race 8. Leg C, Laurel Park Race 9. Leg D, Santa Anita Park Race 3. Leg E, Golden Gate Fields Race 3. Of course, I've already had a look at the Laurel Park legs which is a Phillies optional claimer at first level allowance, six furlong the sprinting distance. And I'm spreading in here. I'm using the two little Huntress for 
trainer Brittany Russell and Sheldon Russell who's turning back down to the sixth funnel, which I think she needs. She's got the perfect role to use the rail and her abundance of gait speed is going to straight put her up. She was going very, very fast, sub 45 for the half last time out in the wide country and faded badly late. The number three, Pretty Laurie, comes in here for Hamilton Smith. Victor Carasto rides. She's been away from the track for a while. She's been working again since January 24. She's got eight works gone in, quite a solid structured prep. Her maiden score, her debut race, she won first time out seven and a half lengths. That was an off the turf event last year, 181 days ago. She didn't beat much in that spot. But if you look at the video replay of the race itself, she got bumped around a fair bit and that was a tough race for a first try and she was rushed to the front by Trevor McCarthy who was still riding out there at the time and came back to him on the bridle quite nicely and looked like a very experienced runner. So if she improves from that, I want to have her on my ticket. And then on the outside, number eight, Paradise Song. She's actually my second choice. So my first choice is the two, then the eight, then the three, the eight Paradise Song, trainer Michael Trombetta. She did all the work up front last time out. She sped away and from live and let live at the top of the stretch. She tied the last two strides and live and let live came and got her, but it was nonetheless a very strong effort. So I'm using her. And then in leg C, Laura Park race nine, I'm going to use the two outside runners. So this is a Phillies maiden 10 race, four and five years old. Five and a half furlongs distance. I like the 11 classy but sassy, who I think is gonna go to the front. I don't believe anyone really wants the lead in this field, and she does. Johan Rosado takes the ride, Hamilton Smith, and then number 10, Thunder in the Valley, Carlos Mancia, John Geraldo. It's hard to make a case for an 11 start maiden, but of those 11 starts, she ran second five times, third four times she turns up every single race and this field I don't believe is as strong as some of the other fields that she's competed against so I'm taking her underneath the next point on the agenda is an important one it's about the triple crown trail can we all take a moment to reflect on the fact that we have a triple crown trail again this year that triple crown trail vibe is there and it's hitting differently this year because we've missed it haven't we i certainly have so every prep race every good horse that we see we're talking about the next big thing the next historic runner and you know what i am all for it because This triple crown trajectory, the points races, the prep races, who's going where, who's faced who, who's the best right now, who should we take in the futures pool for the Kentucky Derby? That is what attracted me to United States horse racing, dirt racing in the first place. That three-year-old trail that is so clean cut, that is there every year. And we start looking at it from the end of the two-year-old season the year before, you know, who's coming back? Who's going to be a better three-year-old? Who are we seeing this year? And last year, due to COVID-19, everything got changed. We had a Kentucky Derby that was run on September the 5th. 
the Preakness was run after the Kentucky Derby, but it was the final leg of the Triple Crown instead of the middle duel. We had a, a Belmont Stakes that was held in front of no fans, nobody at all. I could still remember Manny Franco's elation and screaming as he passed the wire on Tis the Law. So everything was different. But this year, it seems like we've kind of returned to normality in somewhat form or shape. And that's why I'm saying this year, the Triple Crown vibe is hitting differently. And it's better than ever. So let's quickly talk about the current talking horses. We still have a couple of uh, good prep races to go. I mean, we're only just getting started with the... Um, 100 points to the winners races, right? There's the Anna Derby coming up, Jeff Ruby Stakes, Florida Derby, the UAE Derby in Maiden, as I discussed. We have a Kentucky Derby prep race in Japan at Nakayama, the Fuku, Fukuriju. Oh God, Fukuriju. And then of course we have one at Chelmsford in the Cardinal Condition Stakes, 30 points to the winner there, the Bluegrass the Santa Anita Derby, the Wood Memorial, the Arkansas Derby. I mean, so much good racing still coming our way. I, I'm getting giddy. I'm getting excited. I hope you are too. Let's talk about the top contenders or the top horses at present, of course, headlined by the monster that is life is good for Bob Bafford and Mike Smith. Who else? That was an absolute dominant performance in the San Philippe. 107 buyer he got for that. And he KO'd the field. He had the speed, went to the front, got pressured, cleared away by. Incredible. So if, if, if you'd have to take any horse, of course it's going to be him. Of course it's going to be life is good. The problem is though, he hasn't been tested. He hasn't been in a proper battle, eyeballing another runner, having to come back, run back at them. And as Frank Miramani said, untested, unbeaten, but untested. Now, is he that good that he's going to go straight to the front from the gate in the Kentucky Derby, wire the field? He could be. But I'm worried that he hasn't actually has have to work for it yet. And we do see horses fold sometimes when they receive pressure from others because it is a, a herd animal. And in this sport, there are horses that want to run up front and there are horses that want to run up front no matter what and will fight you for it and will go past you and will come back. I don't know if life is good as that kind of horse yet. And in the Kentucky Derby, he's going to have horses that come at him. He's going to have horses that are going to eyeball him, sit right there and pressure him. Is he going to have enough late there? Let's talk about some other runners as well. Of course, uh, we have Essential Quality the two-year-old champ trained by Brad Cox, who quite surprisingly has never had a Kentucky Derby runner before. Well, that is bound to change this year with essential quality, mandaloon. Surely he's going to at least have one or two in the race. And essential quality, of course, the Breeders' Cup juvenile winner last year came back in the Southwest Stakes had never run at Oakland Park before, never even worked on it. The Southwest got moved because, of course, the freezing temperatures there, and he had an off track to contend with. But that 
didn't matter at all. He overcame all of those challenges with seeming ease. He took dirt at the beginning before being switched towards the outside by jockey Lewis size and then produced aggressively around the home turn about three ride cleared away. Now that, that is a racehorse. That is a horse that is capable of sitting close, capable of coming far off it. We've seen it throughout his career. He's flexible. He's bred well. Of course, uh, Godolphin owned homebred Tappet son. To me, he's much more of the finished article in terms of his experience and what he showcased as a racehorse. But let's continue with another top contender in greatest honor, trained by Shug McGay. And of course, all of us are always rooting for Shug when he has a, a good one. Hayes is one of the most wonderful characters in our sport that has developed legendary horses. So every time he has a good one, you want to talk to him, you want to see what he's doing. And greatest honor, grade three Holy Bull winner, thinking back in the grade three Fountain of Youth, where he actually didn't kind of get the trip he wanted, got knocked a little bit sideways on the home turn, and it looked like he wasn't running. I think all of us had the same consensus that on the home turn, it looked like greatest honor was going nowhere. And all of a sudden, when he did start finding that stride, he was able to clear away Jose Ortiz or board. And, and he admitted, he was like, if you know, he, he struggled with sort of regaining his momentum after he got a little bit knocked about. But this is the type of horse that you're expecting to progress when stretching out to a mile and a quarter. But as a Kentucky Derby prospect, I am worried that he is going to encounter that kind of trouble. He is going to get himself in a position where he can't get out or he gets knocked about. And is he going to be good enough to then accelerate away from it? His next assignment is most likely going to be the Florida Derby over a mile and an eighth at Goldstream. So it'd be very good to see how much he might improve from that added 16. Because I didn't mention it before, life is good, most likely going to the Santa Anita Derby, central quality to the bluegrass. And then for our next Derby contender, Concert Tour. Another Bob Bafford trainee. Of course, Bob has already won the Kentucky Derby six times looking for a historic seventh. And Concert Tour, son of Street Sense. The Rebel last time out was a true test. Everyone was wondering if Cato River was going to go to the front Concert Tour. And he aggressively went for it. Joel Rosario was like, trying to come with me, you have to use your speed, use your energy. If you don't want to do it, stay back. And I think that was the key race to the key move to the race, whereby you're forcing another jockey to make a decision to put him in a position where he actually doesn't want to be in. Whereas Joel Rosario was like, I've got the horse, he's got the speed. Bafford always puts all the speed into his horses. And he went to the front and never looked back. So it was really quite the performance that really cemented him as a one of the higher uh, marked derby contenders. Now, he most likely will be appointed towards the Arkansas Derby, Mount 8th at Oakland on the 10th of April. Then we'll talk about Mandaloon for Brad Cox, hopefully, maybe, you know, his second uh, derby contender this year. He won the Risen Star, which was the addition of Blinkers, and it really looked like he took that next step but you are wondering, is he just as good as, for example, essential quality, the two-year-old champion 
that Brad Cox has in his barn as well. It seems like that might be the favorited horse among the two. But nonetheless, I've got to say, Mandaloon, that 98 buyer that he got for the Risen Star is nothing to sneeze at. He finished off the Risen Star so much better than the Lecomte. Of course, it was a form reversal as well for this homebred Jotman Farms owned son of Intermischief. Mandaloon, to me, showed the progression that everyone was banking on him to show. And I think the Lecomte was maybe a little bit of a disappointment that the addition of Blinkers put him back into the playing field for trainer Brad Cox. Of course, he has Caddo River as well. But as we said before, Caddo River kind of been put away by concert tour. But nonetheless, Brad Cox might be looking at quite a wonderful year. Of course, you have Hot Rod Charlie still as well, Leandro Mora, Joel Versari Road, Proxy, who was overturned by Mandaloon last time out. Risk-taking, collaborate. So many really good horses to still look forward to. As I said, plenty of preps. And I dare say, if there is an upset in any of the big races, the big 100-point preps, then we'll have a new star on our hands. And I don't mind that one bit because come the first Saturday in May, we will all have our own opinions. We'll all know of the wise guy horse. Bob Baffert most likely will have a favourite once again. And we'll all be playing the Kentucky Derby once again. And it's going to be absolutely wonderful. And hopefully with a couple or two or more spectators on course and a mint julep by our side. I still don't really like them much though. But okay, I'll be dressed up for something else actually than a Kentucky Derby. Um, Fun fact, I will be watching it for my phone. I am going to attend... Uh, a ceremony. My boyfriend is going to get promoted to a captain in the army, which is wonderful. So there you go. A little bit more about me. Uh, weirdly enough, like terribly enough, they managed to plan it on the first Saturday in May. I mean, <laughs> how did he come up with that? <laughs> but it could have been worse. It could have been the day of the Preakness because then I could have not attended. So if there we are. As we'll move on to the next point on our list that we ought to hit, which is all eyes are on the OBS sale for two-year-olds. Five-day sale today is Wednesday. The action is in full swing. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of an opinion on how I look at a good horse and a two-year-old and what I like and dislike about the American two-year-old sales. Now, I'm so happy to see the strength of the buying bench at OBS and how it started so strongly. It really feels like because we see we're getting towards the end of this pandemic, everyone is just so eager and hopeful to return to something that might seem like normal, which is the buying of new talent, the buying of new racehorses, dreams, perspectives for the future. And uh, on Tuesday, we had a 160 change hands. I think the RNA was about 20%, which is uh, okay enough. We always know that after uh, the sale has ended, we tend to see the RNA drop ever so slightly with deals being done at the barns and afterwards, which is you know always very, very good as well. 
and everyone was happy um as far as what i've read from all the press releases so i'm really you know i'm pleased for everyone involved the buyers the sellers the sales company i worked for a thoroughbred auctioneering company inglis and son back in australia now we didn't i didn't actually tend to breeze up sales but i wasn't working during the breeze up sales there i was part of the the yearling sales crew and all the marketing involved there so i know how important it is for all parties that are a part of a sale so everyone contributing to its success to have high average, to have a good buying bench, to have a successful sale. So I couldn't be more pleased. Now let's get back to how I look at the American breeze up sales or two-year-old sales because my background is with yearlings and two-year-olds in Europe. So the European two-year-old sales, as well as the Hong Kong international breeze up sales, which is a breeze sales actually effectively for three-year-olds because their derby year is their four-year-old season because Hong Kong doesn't breed, so they tend to have to bring over horses from other continents, and it also allows them to bring over horses from the northern and the southern hemisphere. So a bit of a lif- different ball game, but still cool nonetheless. So the strength of the USA yielding and two-year-old market lies with the fact that well-bred horses are offered up for auction, and that is much less so the case in Europe, where homebreds are kept in training and frequent the higher level winner circles often. Now, I think there's something similar go- going on in Australia, where the majority of well-bred horses, good runners, group runners, go through the sales ring. And that breeds confidence in the product that you are being offered, the product that you're investing your money in. And I think that's the exact same thing here in the United States where buyers can buy the next grade one winner at auction. And I love the fact how we've all progressed in terms of technology. The available videos of the breeze, as well as walking videos and photos on offer, are top class and allow buyers from all over the world to look at what is on offer. And also the access to the repository, including x-rays and scopes, are all key. So these are all my positive points. So here comes my, um, my little... Pet peeves, I I dare say, when it comes to the American breeze up sales. The obsession with time, times for furlong or for two furlongs, is absolutely beyond me. I do not see how you are looking for a two-turn prospect, a mile and a quarter prospect, by saying to your owners, yeah, he breezed a furlong in 10 flat. How does that, how, how is that what we're looking for? Are you looking for a four and a half Charlestown horse? Are you looking for a five, five and a half, maybe six? I would understand it that way. But if you're looking for the classier prospect, I don't agree with saying that all you need is 10 and two, 10 and one, whatever. As if that's the key to buying a good horse. I would rather invest in a well-bodied, Love to say good moving. Good moving, not so much on the walkers here in the US. That's just slightly, they just move a touch different to dirt horses as well. But a good striding out, an effective and clean galloper that might do a furlong in just below 11, something like that. That's even, that's even so fast. Because don't you want them to further develop? And I, I do have to say, this depends on who prepared them. So I'm not knocking the sales consigners, but sometimes the, the focus on these times for a furlong or two furlongs means these horses get drilled, absolutely hammered. 
from a young age to go that speed because that's the only way for them to make money. And you have to make money to have a, a viable business and to be able to buy yearlings again to do the same thing again next year. But if your horses aren't then easy to train after and don't perform, that's when you're in trouble. And I know that there's plenty of consigners that have realized that and they're looking to sell the article, the finished article that continues to train and continues to do well. Not the complete, you know, drilled in the head, has to do 10 flat. And I think that there is still this huge gap in consensus, in objectives between the USA breeze up sales and the European is that in, in Europe, we are also doing more, you know, timing and we are what we want to be aware. You want to be aware of the speed that the horse you're trying to buy just did the three furlongs or two furlongs, whatever they did in. But that doesn't mean that your horse can't be good, even if it has a slower time than a couple of others. Because really, how are you going to know in, what is it, March, April, unless you have this powerful, beautiful, moving horse, well-bred, that's how you're going to know. So that's my pet peeve with the Breeze Up Sales here, because I've been involved with Breeze Up Sales for so long. Because what we look for is educating a racehorse for the long term, not to create a rocket that's going to go one furlong and fall flat and all they want to do is whenever they see the racetrack is absolutely bolt off with you. No exercise rider wants to ride that. Like, are you kidding me? I want a horse that is going to help themselves. And yes, you know, if they're good, we tend to let them get away with, you know, if they're a bit naughty or they're a bit strong-minded, yeah, of course, they're racehorses, absolutely. But please don't ruin a horse before they ever got to the racetrack. And maybe that's my criticism. And like I said, it doesn't go for all the consignors because, you know, everyone does things differently. And I just have massive respect for it because I love the two-year-olds, the babies so much because I, we've broken just shy of 300 a season. And that included incredibly, impeccably bred homebreds but then we also prepared for the sales. And of course, those horses were prepared differently. So there is a whole different timeline when it comes to preparing a horse that's going to the Breeze Up Sales and preparing a horse that's, for example, going to John Goss's or Sir Michael Stout's. So these horses that are going to the Breeze Up Sales, they're breezing earlier. They're breezing more frequently. They're paired up more often. They go on the turf more often. Of course, we breeze on the turf, so that's different. So I can imagine... That a horse that needs more time that is going to a trainer is going to get that time. But a horse that needs more time and is ready to go to the breeze up sales, you're going to struggle with that. And that doesn't mean you don't have a good horse that could still become a group or great one winner. And I think that's that's the hard part. So I think that's a balancing act for the consigners as well as the buyers for everyone involved. Now, all that serious talk aside, I'm just so thrilled for all the connections that have gathered success already over these last couple of days at the OBS sale because it still is one of my favorite parts of the game and that is um, preparing and selling on and seeing babies do well. So yeah, well done everyone and uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to the sales circuits myself uh, again at some point because I do miss it. So something completely different, I'll put this uh, in the domestic section. I tend to not include these sort of behind the scenes tidbits much, but I actually 
love, 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 love when the crew does it in the In The Money Media flagship show. And now what I'm talking about here is little personal side tidbits, little recommendations, anything that has to do with that horse player's life, horse racing, industry life, anything that is relatable. So on my alcohol point of view, I finally learned how to drink red wine. Now I feel all fancy, including starting to venture out to DC, uh, which I live just below, but throughout the pandemic, I haven't really been out that much. So if you are in the Washington DC area, I have a wonderful recommendation for you to go to that you should take your friend, your partner, your family, honestly, anyone is going to be super impressed with you. The Hay Adams Hotel. So I went there because I wanted to go to off the record, their bar that's supposed to be in their basement, but because of the pandemic, they've just moved it upstairs, which basically means you're having a drink in their fancy restaurant with a view of the White House and the Washington Memorial. So just a very fancy place that certainly will impress a lot of people. And they got a good wine list and a bit of cocktails as well. So when... You go up north towards Baltimore. So let's say we're going to attend the Preakness this year. There were two go-tos that stood out to me last year, which was my first Preakness experience. So I tried to venture out a little bit. I'll be, of course, you know, a lot of things were closed, but I love the Mount Washington Tavern. It's eight minutes from Pimlico Racecourt and it's a staple amongst horse racing people. We even filmed the World Horse Racing Preakness preview in one of their beautiful second floor spaces. Good food and wine at a decent price. And then for the fancy spot, you know, just like the Hay Adams Hotel, got another hotel for you. On top of the Four Seasons in Baltimore is the Bygone, and they have something for everyone. Their cocktails are one of a kind. Their food tastes amazing. The best part, though, is the view. You can see across the Baltimore inner harbor, and it's just beautifully fancy, well-decorated, leather seats everywhere. You know, if you want to go out for a special occasion, that's the one to go to. So, let's be real. Kentucky Derby in six weeks. Preakness in eight weeks. I mean, thank you. Yes, please come along. Please come along. As far as for some of my home life, as for those that um, don't know yet, I have a cat. Uh, She's been... A bit of a lunatic since she adopted me. Okay, I, I was able to take her home with me in November last year. And uh, yeah, she's quite the character. She likes to climb into the blinds, climb into everything. And uh, either she's aside somewhere wanting to get left alone and chill, or she's pestering you for attention. And then she runs up to the fence to fight with a neighbor's pesky ankle biter dogs. So I've just established that me and her are so much alike. She also super clumsy, which I am too. She falls off things because she has to stick her nose into places it doesn't belong. Also very accurate for me. So yeah, just so you all know, I uh, have a little bit of companionship. And in general, she tends to sit next to me when I'm recording and make annoying noises and scratch everything. So that's it for the domestic section. Let's kick things off with some international content as you might have noticed this week is cheltenham week the cheltenham festival one of the staple jump festivals in the united kingdom that normally draws quite the crowd of course uh, this year as many other racing festivals won't have all the spectators there but nonetheless we've already been treated to 
quite some stellar performances. Of course, it's a Wednesday today. So I'll talk you through what happened yesterday on Tuesday and today Wednesday, as of course England is five, four. Hold on, if I talk very slowly, I can look this up. Four hours ahead, four hours ahead. All right, Tuesday, Rachel Blackmore made history in the champion hurdle by authoritatively winning it with honeysuckle for trainer Henry the Bromhead. Of course, the Unibet Champion Hurdle Challenge Trophy is over two miles and half a furlong over hurdles. And it's one of the four big races of the week. And I feel like this is the type of story that all of us really needed this year, this week. It's been a troubled couple of weeks for the sport in Europe, as it's been well covered and documented by Nick Luck on his uh, daily episodes. So if you want to know more about the whole um, Gordon Elliott saga, do you go to Nick Luck daily? And it's just been a, it's been quite the wild ride, I, I dare say, for everyone involved. And this was the kind of spirited performance that lifts you back up, that gets your heart going, that makes you, you know, believe in, in those dreams and, and really the kind of thing that you want to see on a first day at Cheltenham. Rachel Blackmore is the first female rider to win the champion hurdle. And I'm going to read you a quote from her, which I thought was very apt. It was so far from what I ever thought could happen in my life. To be in Cheltenham, riding the winner of a champion hurdle, it's so far removed from anything I ever thought could be possible. Maybe there's a lesson in that for everyone out there. And I'm going to agree with that and leave it at that as we move on to just another quick talking point on the day because I've been watching the um, ITV racing coverage and they debuted a, a bit of an, well, an oddball feature, about eight minutes long, covering uh, COVID-19 and what happened when COVID-19 first hit in the UK. And that was, I think, a week before Cheltenham or two weeks before Cheltenham and how they still decided to go ahead with the festival and the possible backlash that created. Now, of course, ITV has wonderful coverage provided by a stellar team, including Ed Chamberlain, Francesca Kamani, E.P. McCoy, Mick Fitzgerald, Matt Chapman, Ollie Bell, so much more. But this feature was actually more uh, some other people getting coming in, um, giving their opinion. Okay, I kind of agree with it. And I guess it's, it's we, we, of course, had to address it. But I was a little bit weirded out by the fact that they had Pierce Morgan come in, um, talk about the pandemic and basically condemning the running of the festival in 2020. To me, it was a little bit like, come on, guys, at least use a more reputable person for your opinion. Uh, Pierce Morgan was uh, Good Morning Britain's host and has recently, I think, been let go because of some stuff he said about Meghan... Marco and whatever happened with the royal family there so that's of course you know that's all fine and all but I just don't believe he really has the standing to talk about Cheltenham with any form of authority but okay there we are uh, <laughs> I guess it, it was understandable that ITV wanted uh, some coverage some outline of what was going on at that time and to start the racing festival now a year later but yeah, uh, interesting one. Anyhow, so Piers Morgan, uh, Good Morning Britain host that's now not there anymore. He was part of that coverage. So, 
execution could have been a, a touch better. But there we are. Wednesday, dual Grand National winner, Tiger Roll uh, records his fifth Cheltenham Festival success earlier today in the Glen Class chase over a three mile and six furlong. And you heard me correctly there. Three miles and six furlongs. So three miles and three quarters. A grueling test and trip, I tell you. And he's joining a list of illustrious Cheltenham legends. His first win since the 2019 Grant National. He's not running in it this year due to being too highly rated and having to carry too much weight. Uh, Jockey Keith Donahue rode and Tiger was prepared by replacement trainer Denise Foster instead of being in the prior care of Gordon Elliott, as I kind of mentioned before. As we move on to one of the other big ones of the week, put the kettle on, wins the champion chase. And Racing Post had a wonderful headline that I am all for. Boil over for favorite backers as put the kettle on, wins champion chase. Now the Betway Queen Mother Champion Chase, as I said, is one of the highlights of the week. It's two miles over fences, which means high speed over the biggest obstacles one can imagine and tactical decisions could make or break you. And I'd encourage everyone to watch the replay. It looked like Chacun Pour Soi had all the momentum after pinging the final fence, but put to kettle on and jockey Aidan Coleman were in heavy pursuit and found enough to overtake and hold off a late challenge from Ub Negra and Harry Skelton. And put to kettle on is just such a tough mare a wonderful performance there's if you watch one race go and watch that one because that that's the kind of finish that you would see in some of the big flat races that's the kind of you know tight finishes that we're all here for after two miles of full speed yeah that's the race that you need to watch so that's it for today's update on the Cheltenham Festival of course two days gone two days left to go Keep following it all on the Racing Post as well as on Twitter. And if you want to listen to a podcast terrifically covering the Cheltenham Festival, go to the final Furlong podcast, Emmett Kennedy. Wonderful guest and just very, very knowledgeable. I mean, you know, he's Irish. The Irish rule the Cheltenham Festival. Go and have a look. The 2021 Dubai World Cup night is coming up. I'm going. I haven't been since 2019. I'm so excited. 26.5 million US dollar is carded for March 2017 with about 14 Group 1 winners set to headline the night. Let's go USA horses. I'm looking at you, Hazes' team and Mystic Guide in the Dubai World Cup itself. Uh, no charlatan or Nick's go. I'm going to be part of the media slash notes team and might even get the chance to make an appearance on Dubai, on the Dubai Racing Channel, which would be my absolute pleasure. So let's run you through the fields with a focus on the Dubai World Cup itself. At a $12 million grade one, group one, excuse me, this is going to happen a fair few times. Dubai World Cup it's going to be full of international competition once again. Almost $7 million to the winner of Dubai's most important race on the calendar. 
And just imagine, it it all started with the mighty Cigar and Bill Mott 25 years ago. That's right. This year is the 25th running of the Dubai World Cup. The home team, the boys in blue, Godolphin, will be represented by three runners, including, most likely, the Morning Line favourite, depending, of course, how the field shapes up, but pretty certain here. Mystic Guide, trained by Mike Stidham, won the Grade 3 Razorback Handicap at Oakland Park on February the 27th, which gave him about 108 as his uh, buyer figure, which is very, very strong coming into this. I don't think there is any in the field that can best him based on that number as a improvement from his run in his club gold cup very strong second beaten by three quarter lengths there behind happy saver and of course his jim dandy win was very solid as well now you have gifts of gold coming in for trainer seed bin soror he's the winner of the red sea turf handicap on saudi day has run over dirt before namely in the al maktoum challenge the first leg uh, was a group two on dirt going the one going a mile didn't run that well though there so I'm a little bit questioning their move of putting him back on the dirt once again majority of his running has been done on the turf did win on the old weather at Chelmsford but we all know that old weather and dirt not the same thing Magni course Andre Fabre prepared cold this is going to be his first time on the dirt and of course, another American coming in, Jesus's team, who was second in the grade one Pegasus World Cup Invitational behind Nick's Go. And my pick of the Americans, that's my gut feeling here. I feel like Jesus's team, if he continues to improve, last time out his figure in that uh, Pegasus World Cup Invitational was a 105 behind, of course, a very strong Nick's Go. He won the Claiming Crown Jewel before that, second in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile behind the same horse in Nick's Go. And of course, we saw him finish third in the grade one Preakness behind champion Swiss Skydiver and British Cup Classic winner and horse of the year Authentic. So Hazel's team coming in here, I think, is a horse on the upside as well as that I do believe he has a little bit more tactical speed early than Mystic Guide has. Sleepy Eyes Todd, another USA runner for training Miguel Angel Silva comes in here after a fourth in the Pegasus and a fifth in the Saudi Cup. Of course, we also have title ready coming in for trainer Dallas Stewart. He's very experienced at the Dubai World Cup meeting. Title ready uh, was last out seen winning grade three Louisiana Stakes. We have a Chua Wizard, who's representing the land of the rising sun as a Japan trainee. He won the grade one Champions Cup in December. And we have a local representative in Salute the Soldier who won the Group 1 Al Maktoum Challenge, the third leg and the second leg. So race three, race two for Bahraini trainer Fazi Nas. Uh, Salute the Soldier also be partnered once again by Flying Dutchman Adri de Vries. So that's a bit of a personal note there. Adri's a wonderful person and the most successful Dutch jockey that I've ever heard of. We have more UAE contenders than just salute the soldier but to quickly touch upon the lone Saudi Arabia hope which is great Scott who was a long shot third in the Saudi cup and represents uh, trainer Abdullah Mushrif so for the entire field of 
the Dubai World Cup, 12 million total, nearly 7 million to the winner. Mystic Guide, Michael Stidham. Chua Wizard for Ruji Okubo. I'm going to have to pronounce that better. Magni Course for Andre Fab. Salute the Soldier, Fawzi Nas. Jesus' team for Jose Francisco D'Angelo. Sleepy Eyes, Todd Miguel Angel Silva. Gifts of Gold, Said Ben Saroor. Hypothetical for Salem bin Gadir, Military Law, Musaba Al-Meri. So these are all UAE runners. Then Great Scott, Saudi Arabia, Abdullah Mushrif. The Great Collection, also UAE, for USA native Douglas Watson. Title Ready for Dallas Stewart. Adjust Fiscal for Uruguay, Antonio Sintra. Capizano, another local United Arab Emirates runner for Salem bin Gadir. The Longines Dubai Shima Classic has long been the hunting ground of the Japanese and this year we'll see Group 1 winners from four countries square of possibly headlines by a, a Japanese runner in, the, in a triple Group 1 winning mare Chrono Genesis who will be taking on some strong competition including Group 1 Prida Jockey Club and Saudi Cup long shot winner Mishrif for trainer John Gosden, as well as Aiden O'Brien's mogul, and the Bill Mott-trained channel maker. The Grade 1 Dubai Turf over nine furlongs features last time out Group 1 Chebel Hatta Victor Lord Glitters, who had us all on the edge of our seat with his late closing style. Really wondered if he was going to get there, but the old boy got it done. Because we'll also be seeing last year's Group 1 Prince of Wales winner, Lord North also trained by trainer John Gosden. And then you have a group three winner, Regal Reality, making his seasonal debut. We haven't seen him since the Joel Stakes in September last year. He ran second behind uh, Guinness winner Cameco for trainer Sir Michael Stout. Headline of the group one, Dubai Golden Shaheen, most likely going to be the American trained Yopan who's prepared by Hall of Famer Steve Asmussen and hoping to return to form after perhaps a slight disappointing eighth place in the British Cup sprint last November, prior to which he'd been unbeaten in his last four starts. And I do remember him uh, capturing the great three Chick Lang at Pimlico, Tony Velasquez Road. And Yopan is one of those horses that needs a lot of encouragement. So he never looks overly comfortable. So, so strong down the lane there. So very much looking forward to him perhaps putting his uh, best hoof forward once again. He's going to have uh, some other stateside competition. The Doug O'Neill trained Wildman Jack, who won the grade three Nadal Sheba turf sprint at Maidan over a year ago or last season. But we actually saw him at Santa Anita in the grade two Paulos Verdes uh, earlier this year. However... Is the Dubai Golden Shaheen really going to go to the Americans? I mean, strong-handed. We have four US runners in here. Weltman Jack, Doug O'Neill, Yopon, Steve Asmussen, the ones that two, the two I just discussed. Steve Asmussen got another runner in Jalen Journey. And Carlos David has Zenden. But Japan has four runners as well. Kapano Kicking, Justin, Matera Sky, and Red Lezel. So quite uh, intrigued. Grade 3 Capella stakes winner Justin. Riyadh Dirt Sprint 1-2 Copano kicking Amatero Sky. Very, very intrigued. The Turf Dash, aka the Group 1 Alquaz Sprint, 
six furlongs on the green stuff out there. Most likely favorite on the day is going to be the good often owned Charlie Appleby trained space blues who comes in here looking for a, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive win ran in Riyadh 20th of February in the tour sprint, which he won. And before that won the group one pre-Marie the Geest. A fun story behind this uh, now five-year-old chestnut. He's by Dubawi out of Mare called Miss Lucifer. And he's one of the couple of yearlings that I got the chance uh, to work with at Tobertage at uh, the Godolphin base in Ireland, which was a, a lot of fun. He was actually quite a, a nervous yearling. Uh, he's still intact. He's a horse. And so we all had colts uh, in our yard. And, you know, we, we really had to teach him. He was, you know, he he was just, everything was a challenge with him and not in, in a bad way in terms of that he didn't want to do it. Everything just made him nervous. And now seeing what he's achieved and how he's developed and mature is quite wonderful sort of back end story. But let's get back to the Alqua sprint field itself. Uh, he's going to have to best a fellow Godolphin runner in final song who won the group three Nadal Sheba turf sprint on Super Saturday. And then the group two maiden sprint winner Equilateral. Of course, we have a, an American or two in here. Cohen for Steve Asmussen has been... Uh, Finishing second quite a lot as well as in the Saudi Derby. And Graham Motion is sending over True Valor. So I, of course, wish the USA runners uh, tons of luck in here. And it'll be, uh, an, it'll be a fun little race for sure. The Group 2 UAE Derby is up next. Nine and a half furlongs on the dirt for the three-year-olds. 1,900 meters for those that like to think in meters like I sometimes do. 170 derby points up for grabs and 100 Kentucky Derby points go to the winner. And it seems like Japan has got quite a shot in here. Three runners they bring, including Saudi Derby winner Pink Kamehameha, who is going to face a, a couple of youngsters, including Alba Sekia winner Panadol. That was on Super Saturday. That was a very, very strong score then. As well as a filly and the UAE 1000 Guineas winner, Soft Whisper, who did also line up in the Saudi Derby and was well bested by Pink Kamehameha there. But also 2000 Guineas winner, Mohib, lines up as well. And then we have uh, Antonio Sano, USA, bringing the Maryland bred Lugamo and Doug O'Neill having ambivalent come over. So certainly pays off to see if you can get a, a couple of doughy points uh, whilst taking a trip to a lovely and warm country. The Group 2 Dubai Gold Cup, longest distance on the car, 3,200 meters, 16 furlongs on the turf. We'll have a subjectivist, the Group 1 Pre-Royal Oaks victor, line up against a couple of seasoned contenders, including uh, Spanish Mission, who was second in the Red Sea Turf Handicap, and Red Verdon, who was fourth in the same race. Of course, a fair few UK runners in this, including McCong for James Osborne. Sub Jamie Osborne, of course. Wow. <laughs> Subjectivist, Mark Johnson runner, Spanish mission, the aforementioned uh, Andrew Bowling trainee. And Red Verdon is the Edward Dunlop runner. The group to Godolphin Mal was a race that was 
taken by the Americans last year with the Todd Pletcher trained call front and Jose Ortiz, who rode in Dubai for the first time in his career. This year, most likely all eyes are going to be on the Doug Watson trained Midnight Sands, USA bred, was in the United States for a little spell during last year where he was uh, with Brendan Walsh. Couldn't really recapture uh, some of the form that he showed prior to that at Maidan with Doug Watson, so now back in a familiar barn. And he came back with a bang. He was uh, on a break for about 119 days, comes back on Super Saturday in the Group 3 Burj Nahar over Mao and wins by two and a quarter lengths going away. So certainly the horse to look out for. Now, the Americans do have a a good continued coming in. Avant-garde, Gustavo Delgado, Snapper Sinclair for Steve Asmussen, uh, Parsimony for Doug O'Neill. So we have a chance once again, but certainly have to catch on to uh, an American doing very well in the UAE. So that will do it for the Dubai World Cup races for thoroughbreds. Of course, we still have the Group 1 Dubai Kahela Classic, which is a purebred Arabian race. Not going to lie, I'm not going to try my hand at that. It's tricky. I've tried it a fair few times before, but I do think that Arabians uh, are quite temperamental. They don't always run up to form and quite frequently in their races, you also see very long winning margins, not because their abilities are that far apart, but because literally one day they want to run and the other day they decide they don't. They're incredibly bright animals and so are thoroughbreds, but they're more willing and more consistent in their performances. So I find that's a little bit easier to dissect and try and predict. Now, a little story about my time in Dubai two years ago. I was working for the Dubai Racing Club in their uh, media center, so to speak, and it was a lot of fun. But that also meant that I was based in the grandstand. Now, the main grandstand is huge. It's over a mile long, longer than the Burj Khalifa dropped on its side, which is, of course, the tallest building in the world. And there are so many tunnels underneath the grandstand. I was there for four months, and I still manage to get lost half of the time. To the point that at one point, I think it was after the Dubai World Cup, the morning after, I was trying to find my way back. Actually, no, I knew my way back and it was a shortcut. And there was a lot of security for the Dubai World Cup two years ago. It's always the case. And a guard said I didn't have the right credentials to be underneath. And I'd been walking around there for four months. He'd see me nearly every day. And he goes, nope, nope, you can't be here. And he kind of not politely taught me to go somewhere else you can imagine how that went down that wasn't fun aside from that it's a it's a beautiful facility and I'm very much looking back at looking forward excuse me to come back there once again of course last year the Dubai World Cup got cancelled due to COVID this year it will be held without spectators and very strict health procedures Um, everyone has to have a um, COVID test before going in do you believe I'm about to do four COVID tests in one week just to go there? But you know what? It's absolutely worth it. I haven't been outside of the US for the last 15 months, including not being able to go to Europe to still see my family, which not a pity party. I am just so fortunate now to be going to the UAE and to be reunited with a team that I've worked with before. So just really looking forward to it. Now, what's in it for you guys? Well, 
I will make sure to keep you up to date with everything that I'm seeing at morning track work. I will be at the track 4.30 a.m. every day. I'll be tweeting out, I'll be writing the press releases. I will give you all the lowdown because I do believe that a horse either loves the maiden dirt track and goes over it, which you can see in the morning, or they don't. Now, they have made some changes. It is a much more even playing track now. They definitely sort of take the top off and make sure it's you know fast and in prime condition for their big night. But I do think you can take a lot from looking at the runners in a more so a little bit like a Breeders' Cup, you know. Got very fortunate to be a part of the TVG player show last year for the Breeders' Cup. That was my first time covering it on air. So uh yeah, see you at the Dubai World Cup. That was it, guys. I'm gonna have to wrap this up now. You must be thinking, oh gosh, I've never listened to Naomi for that long. Thank you for bearing with me. Of course, we covered a, a lot of ground in this show, looking at some of the stakes acts from Laurel Park last weekend, the Stronic 5 coming up on Friday, the fact that the Triple Crown this year is just even more special than normal, the OBS sales going on, food recommendations for Preakness, even DC, if you're in the neighborhood, and of course, some international action in shape of the Cheltenham Festival and the upcoming renewal, the 25th renewal of the Dubai World Cup. And it's just my pleasure to bring all that good news to you throughout the week as well. And uh, to close things off, we're friends with Lone Star Park and they've got a, you know, a wonderful tournament series coming up. Uh, we see Lone Star's Premier Stakes Day, the Lone Star Million Day coming up on Memorial Day. So they wanted to create the biggest tournament they've ever had. So the most NHC seats and the most cash they've ever given away. So 100% of the prize pool is funded by Lone Star Park, 100% player role. Uh, so it's incredibly enticing for everyone wanting to get a seat. So Memorial Day weekend, three-day mega event. Qualifiers are available now at horsetourneys.com, which is the for the Lone Star Million Betting Challenge on Monday, May 31st. $2,500 buy-in, live money, 100% players bankroll, eight guaranteed NHC seats, eight, one in 10 odds or better, 15 seats are possible. I mean, come on, guys. That is such a wonderful opportunity to get your NHC's a cash prize is $15,000 in cash, $4,000 to the winners. I mean, it's just a wonderful weekend coming up. Do go to lonestarpark.com slash handicapping dash tournaments for the complete schedule. Because as always, we want to support um, our friends that are allowing us to host all these wonderful podcasts on the In The Money Media Network. So I want to thank... All the guys at In The Money Media, which is Peter Thomas, Fornatel, Jonathan Kinchin, Drew Coatney. Of course, everyone that's now part of the family. And I'm going to try and make sure I don't forget anyone. Spencer from Redboard Rewind, Acacia Courtney with In The Ring podcast, Maggie Wolfendale's on board. Of course, Matt Bernier. Uh, we have Nick Luck with his daily episodes. Uh, Michelle Yu with The Owner Box and Billy Cook as well. I think that's about it. I mean, did I? Please say I didn't forget. I mean, uh, JK has got his own show, but he's so much part of the network anyway, so I don't have to mention that separately, right? I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening once again. It's been my pleasure. And next week, we'll be broadcasting from Dubai. 